Well, good morning again. Um, I'm not sure if I said this earlier when I came up for communion, but uh, if, it, if you are visiting, great to see you here. My name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Connect, and we're thrilled that uh, you're here, whether it's your first time or your 101st time. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, if you're watching online, thank you so much for joining us online. Um, this won't apply to you online because I'm sure you're sat right now in a comfy chair with a nice cup of coffee. But for those who are here this morning, I apologize. We had some coffee issues this morning. Uh, there was some water situation in town this week. So some of our water in the coffee bar was kind of salty. We were trying to flush that out. And then our coffee machine wasn't working right. So I am aware that there are some of you who are now sat here this morning and you've not had your cup of coffee yet. So you're either kind of shaking a bit or you're nodding off. So I'll try my hardest to, to keep you engaged here as I speak this morning in and uh, make sure that the uh, lack of coffee doesn't ruin your experience. Um, so uh, I, I shared this last week, if you were here, if you weren't here last week, a couple of weeks ago I got back from um, a trek that I uh, joined several other pastors and leaders from around the country and we actually went out to Nepal and we hiked all the way to the base camp of Mount Everest. And uh, it was a big endeavor. We were doing it to raise money to help plant churches around the world that reach children uh, in under-resourced communities. And, and I felt like last week I needed to clarify because since arriving home, several people had, had kind of had a little bit of misunderstanding. I had to clarify, I didn't actually climb to the top of Mount Everest. So uh, I had to clarify that last week that uh, I didn't go all the way to the top because a few people have said, hey, I heard you climbed Mount Everest. I didn't climb. Mount Everest. But um, earlier this week, I saw a friend of mine, and we were chatting about the experience, and he said, oh, I was talking to Mark, a mutual friend of ours, and I said, did you hear about Dave and his trip to Everest? And Mark said, Dave climbed Mount Everest? And uh, my friend said, no, no, he didn't climb Mount Everest. He just went, to, he went to the base camp. And my friend Mark's like, oh, what, he, he just went to the base camp? I want to clarify this morning, it was still a pretty big deal going to the base camp of Mount Everest, okay? Yes, I didn't get to the 29,000 feet summit, but I did get to 17,600 feet of base camp. And I know, because I have an app on my phone called Strava, that over the 15 straight days that I hiked, day after day, I did 96 miles. Like I said, I know this because of my app every day when we would start hiking, I would press start on Strava and uh, it would track my uh, journey every single day. And I'm gonna be honest, sometimes it can be quite demoralizing at the end of the day to look at Strava and see how I did, to see how fast I'd actually moved, to see how much distance we'd actually gained. Um, day one, we actually flew up from Kathmandu where we arrived up into the mountains, a little uh, community called Lukla. And uh, we arrived, we flew out super early in the morning, like six in the morning. We got there at like seven in the morning. Uh, we unpacked our bags. We had some breakfast. This was the place we stayed at in Lukla. It was a lodge just at the bottom of the mountain. It was beautiful. I mean, it really was a, an incredible place. And then day one, our guide said, okay, we're going to hike a thousand feet up these mountains and then back down again, just to kind of get, get your legs stretched a bit, you know, get you used to the altitude. So when I checked Strava at the end of the day, this is what my journey looked like. That's quite demoralizing <laughs> to know that's what I did. In a day I went up and I went right back down again. And my legs knew that. I mean, they could feel that, okay? I knew that that's what I'd done that day. Day two, we left and we headed into Everest National Park. There's a picture here of me stood right outside. It says um, Sagamatha. That's the uh, Nepalese word for Everest. So we were entering Everest National Park, our very first day of trekking. So I was super excited because this was it. We were making our way towards Everest Base Camp. 
But I've got to be honest, again, that night we sat down in the, uh, when we finished and I looked at Strava and I was kind of disappointed again because this was basically what happened that day. <laughs> we started at 9,400, we went all the way down to 8,400 and then we went up and down and up and down and up and down until we got to just below. There was no net gain whatsoever. I mean, I, I actually finished lower down than I started that morning. So I'm already two days in and I'm lower than where we started. So I'm thinking, this is hard work. But I show this picture because I want to tell you a story about something that happened. So right around the bottom, the reason we had to go all the way down and all the way back up is because we had to cross a river. And up in the mountains, there's no big bridges like McCluggage. You have to go all the way down. And then this is the bridge you cross once you get to the river. We crossed several of these over the course of the 15 days. That was exciting. Um, we crossed this bridge, and then we went back up the other side. So such a long journey down just to cross the river and go back up. But right after crossing this river, it was around lunchtime, so we stopped at a little restaurant, and we had some lunch. And it's day two, and this group came in. As we were eating there, another big group came in, and they sat at the tables next to us, and they were on their way down. They'd already been to base camp. They were making their journey back down to fly back home again. And uh, it was kind of a mixed group. There was three girls there from England. There was a couple of guys oh, from America. There was a couple of guys from England. There was a German guy. Uh, they didn't know each other beforehand. They just all signed up for this group, and then they all got put together. So me being me, you know, I'm like, hey, uh, how's it going? I went over. I started chatting to them. I wanted to ask them all sorts of questions, how they were doing. And, and just within seconds of talking, th these three American girls, they were very talkative. I was like, how was they were like, awful. It was so hard. We haven't showered for 12 days. It was so cold at the top. And I had to sleep with a hat and a, and a scarf. And, and rather than tell me all the cool things they'd seen and done, it was just like one after another, they were telling me this miserable experience they'd had. The German guy, he gets in on the conversation. He's like, are you on your way up or your way down? I said, we're on our way up. He goes, don't go. And I laughed. I laughed. He goes, no, I'm serious. Don't go. Don't and I mean, this group, and not only were they all kind of negative and depressing, they were all feeding off of each other. And, and our group, we left lunch, and, and I'll be honest with you, as we started our way back up that hill, we were a little disappointed, a little demoralized. And, and we talked a lot over the following days about that group and the impact that conversation had had upon all of us. We had no idea what to expect. And one of the first groups of people we spoke to said, turn around, go back, it's awful. And it really affected us. And following my trek, I decided I'm gonna do a series here at Connect based on some of the mountain stories that we find in Scripture. And what I'm doing is, is I found some fascinating stories in Scripture, but I've been able to tie them into some experiences that I had while I was on this trek. And one of the things we learned that day as a group was you should be careful who you listen to and who you let speak into your life. I think, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, but really for any of us in any stage of life right now, I think some good advice we could all follow this morning is be careful who you listen to and who you let speak into your life. Because there are some situations in life, especially some of the bigger things that we face, that, that the wrong conversation with the wrong person can seriously jeopardize. We could be thinking about a career change or a major step in this direction, and the wrong conversation with the wrong person can seriously have an impact on our thought process in that situation. Sometimes I think we need to make sure that we surround ourselves with people who understand who we are and what we're going through. And people who are going to speak life into our situation. 
So with that in mind, um, I knew I was going to speak about this particular story because it's a great mountaintop story, and there's a real kind of application along those lines. So this morning, last week, we talked about Abraham and Isaac. We started right at the beginning of the Bible. Now we're going to jump to the New Testament, and the mountain story we're going to look at this morning took place in the life of Jesus. It actually took place in the final chapter of his life. So if you're familiar with the life of Jesus, we can read about it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. They are the four writers who give us the accounts of the life of Jesus. They're all um, based on the same life of Jesus, but from different perspectives. Each one of them had a different perspective in their their reason to write down their, their memories or their understanding of the life of Jesus. And they tell us a lot about his life, but um, a lot about the beginning when he was born, the, the Christmas story. Then not much leading up to about his 30th year. And then from 30 to 33, three years of ministry, they tell us an awful lot about what Jesus, uh, what he did, the miracles he performed, what he taught. And towards the end of those three years, we're reaching the time now where Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's going to die. Uh, he's going to rise again. We took communion this morning to remember the fact that while Jesus lived an incredible life and did some wonderful things, ultimately what he was most remembered for was his mission, and that was to come and to die on a cross. So at the very end of his life, this is just weeks now before he's going to go to the cross, we, we learn about this mountaintop experience. So this particular event that we're going to look at this morning, um, you can read about it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John doesn't talk about it, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of them talk about it. And we're going to look at Luke's perspective on the story this morning, uh, although we're going to touch on a little bit of some of the things Matthew and Mark said, because they pick up on some things that Luke doesn't pick up on. So in Luke chapter 9, and we're going to have the verses on the screen so you can follow along, but if you want to look it up in your Bible or in your Bible app, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9 this morning. It starts in verse 28. About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. So Jesus is heading up on a trek. He's heading up a mountain of his own. He's hit his record button on Strava, and off he goes up this mountain, and his purpose in climbing this mountain is to pray. Luke tells us there's a reason he's heading up this mountain, and that is to pray. Now, the great thing about prayer is that we can talk to God anywhere. I often find people who they're new in their relationship with Jesus, they'll say to me, I'm not sure how to pray, when to pray. And, And I always tell them, you know, God is with you all the time. You can pray wherever you find yourselves. You could be in the kitchen making a cup of coffee. You can be talking to God. You can be on a walk through your neighborhood, you can be talking to God and praying. You can be driving in your car and you can turn the radio off and just use that time to to pray and talk to God. You could be sat in your car stationary because there's a police car behind you and the police officer right now has decided whether he's gonna write you a ticket or just give you a warning. That's a great time to pray. I know a lot of you have prayed in that moment, you know, so you can talk to Jesus at any time. But, It's great sometimes to to kind of push pause on the busyness of our lives and and to withdraw and find a place to pray. Maybe it's in the morning or the evening, but just to kind of silence the surroundings and and find a place to just get alone and just speak to Jesus. Just just have that time one-on-one in prayer. And if you read the accounts of the life of Jesus, you'll see he was a busy person. There were always crowds of people around him. His life was chaotic, it was busy. Everyone always wanted something from Jesus, whether it was the the crowds, 
There were people who were sick and in need. There were religious leaders who had questions to ask of him. There were disciples who were with him. So, so there wasn't many opportunities for Jesus to pray because there was always something going on in his life. So Jesus knew that he would have to have some intentionality if he wants to spend some time speaking with his Father, Father God. So this is what's happening right here. Jesus has decided, you know, it's not because there's nothing else to do. I'm sure there was plenty to do. But Jesus knows that he needs time alone. He needs some time to himself. He needs to get away and he needs to commune. He needs to pray with God. There's a lot going on in his life. And as we know, we're reaching the end of Jesus' life. He knows that his mission is, is quickly approaching. He knows he's pretty soon going to give up his life. So he knows he needs to get away and to pray. But he's not completely alone. We read in that verse that he took with him Peter, James, and John. So at that time, there were a lot of people following Jesus, crowds of people. There were some that Jesus was closer to. There was a group of 12 that we know as his disciples. And Jesus spent three years pouring himself into these 12 people. He knew that these disciples were going to be the ones who were going to continue his mission after he was gone. So he spent a lot of time with those 12. But in this last chapter of his life, in these last few weeks and months, we read that he actually spent some time alone with just three of those disciples, Peter, James, and John. Within his inner circle, they kind of became his inner, inner circle. When I was on this trek, there were nine of us all together. This is a picture of us at base camp with our guides. So we made it, that was us, and there was uh, seven guys and two girls that made up our group, and then some of our guides and Sherpas are with us there. And over the course of 15 days, I got to know all of these people really well. I mean, we're walking for hours and hours on the trails together. So when we're not walking uphill and huffing and puffing, we're, we're talking to each other. There wasn't a lot of talking on some of those climbs, but on some of the ones downhill and some of the more flats, we were talking a lot. And I, I had great conversations with everyone in this group. But what I found after a few days, maybe a week in, was that there was a few people in the group that I just kind of connected with at a little bit of a deeper level. Maybe a similar stage of life, similar situations we were going through, similar sense of humor, whatever it was. There was, there was two or three in the group that I found myself, whenever we were out walking, I would, I would find myself alongside them and we'd be talking and we'd be chatting, probably more than with the others. And I think that's what's happening with Jesus here. We don't know why, but for whatever reason, it seems that for Peter, James, and John, Jesus saw that there was just some, some special connection there with those three. So oftentimes we read in a few occasions that when Jesus was off, it wasn't with all the disciples, it was just with Peter, James, and John. So here they are, all four of them on top of this mountain. Jesus is praying, and you can tell he picked three winners here because they're all asleep at this point. They've all fallen asleep, okay? And he's there, and he's praying, and listen to what happens. This is a, a crazy story. Luke chapter nine, verses 29 through 31. As he was praying... The appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see. And they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. This is Luke's account. Matthew and Mark, they use a different word to describe what's going on here. In Matthew 17.2 and Mark 9.2, they both say, there he was transfigured before them. 
transfigured. Now, some of you who grew up in church or who are familiar with this story will know that um, oftentimes this is referred to as the transfiguration of Jesus, and that's the word that they use. And, and the reason they use that word transfigure is because it comes from a Greek word which was metamorpho. Metamorpho is the word that literally means transfigured. It's where we get metamorphosis from. And it's an important word because what I want you to picture in this scene is that when he's talking about this transfiguration of Jesus, it's not that he was there and, and suddenly a light, you know, like one of these lights, you know, shines down on Jesus and he's lit up, you know, with a light from heaven. Sometimes I think that's what we think happened. No, when you look at this word transfigured, metamorpho, what actually was happening was, was the light was coming from within. Jesus himself was the light. Matthew says that his face shone like the sun. His face literally changed, transformed, transfigures, metamorphosed. His, his clothes became dazzling white. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around this sometimes because I don't know that I fully understand how this is possible, but Jesus, when he came to earth, I believe he was fully man. I believe he experienced the emotions that we experience. He cried, he experienced grief, he experienced anger. And as a man, we can, when we pray to Jesus, he understands as men and women what we're going through because he understood as a human being what it's like to live as a human. But somehow, he also existed as 100% God. So it's not like he was 50% man, 50% God. Somehow he was 100% man and 100% God. And I think in this moment, the God side of him was shining through. He, he kind of suddenly was like, this is who I really am as the son of God. And not just that, we learned that two men, Moses and Elijah, were seen there talking to him. Now, these were two Old Testament characters from hundreds of years before, suddenly standing here talking to Jesus. If you're not familiar with who they were, Moses was uh, the one who led the Israelites out of Egypt. He brought us the Ten Commandments. And, and really, as you study Bible history, he's the one that brought the law into being, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, the, the rules that, that followers of God's followers were to follow in order to, to keep them right before God. So, so Moses brought the law. Elijah was known as one of the greatest prophets in Israel's history. So I think there's some significance to the fact that Jesus is here with Moses and Elijah because he talked often about how God had sent him to fulfill the law and the prophets. That this chapter of Israel's history was coming to a close, the law, the prophets, and the new chapter was gonna be represented by Jesus. And not only were they there, we learned that they were talking about Jesus' exodus, which means they were talking about what was about to happen, Jesus' departure from this world. So I think they were probably talking at length with Jesus about his crucifixion that was coming up, about the pain and the suffering that he was gonna have to go through, about why he was going through it. I would imagine that the, the humanity side of Jesus was wrestling with this, saying, is there surely, is there not another way? Do I have to go through this? And talking there to Moses and Elijah, there was a connection in understanding why he had to do what he was about to do. Verse 32, Peter and the others had fallen asleep. But when they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, 
One for Moses and one for Elijah. I love this. I love Peter. And I love his response. Not even knowing what he was saying, he blurted out this idea to make tents for everyone. So we can just hang out here like a slumber party. We'll just really soak in this moment. Let's not leave. Let's just all just hang out here. Mark, <laughs> Mark's account, he, he actually goes into more detail. He says in Mark 9, 6, talking about Peter's response, he said this because he didn't really know what else to say, <laughs> for they were all terrified. <laughs> I love that. Mark's, Mark's uh, take on the matter is Peter said something. You know why he said it? Because he had no idea what to say. So he said something silly. <laughs> I love that because I connect a little bit with Peter. <laughs> I am that guy, all right? So uh, I love being the pastor of Connect. I've got a fantastic staff that I get to work alongside. We've got some great volunteers, leaders here in the church. And uh, oftentimes, as a staff, we'll meet during the week and we'll talk about how things are going to connect. And uh, sometimes we'll sit and we'll recap the weekend. You know, how did it go? What was, how was the kids? Did that all go okay? You know, what have we got coming up in the next few weeks? And and. I'd love to say that occasionally, but really it's quite a lot. In those conversations between me and the staff, I'll say, guess what I said on Sunday? <laughs> and I'll tell them a story about something I've said to someone, and they'll shake their heads. They'll be like, Dave, how, how do you do this? I don't know. I just, this, these things happen to me. 